Well, I think there's a lot of evidence that when students during high school have the opportunity to have work-based learning experiences, there are much better outcomes in terms of their uh, employment later on, their level of earnings, how they feel about their career pathways and the work that they're pursuing. And for students with disabilities, it's even, even more important and seems to have even greater impact based on some of the, the research that's been done. I'm J.B. Wogan from Mathematica, and welcome back to On the Evidence, a show that examines what we know about today's most urgent challenges and how we can make progress in addressing them. On this episode, we're going to focus on evidence from a five-year statewide initiative in Vermont to improve the college and career readiness of high school students with disabilities. In general, high school students with disabilities face obstacles in their transition to adulthood and, compared to their peers without disabilities, typically underperform in both post-secondary education and in the workforce. In 2016, the Rehabilitation Services Administration, which is part of the U.S. Department of Education, awarded grants to state vocational rehabilitation agencies to identify and demonstrate evidence-based practices for providing work-based learning experiences in integrated settings. One of the five states to receive a grant was Vermont, and my colleagues at Mathematica evaluated the resulting demonstration, which was called Linking Learning to Careers. Under the demonstration, the Vermont Division of Vocational Rehabilitation enhanced and customized the education and employment services that it usually offers to students with disabilities. The agency offered students college exploration opportunities, dedicated assistive technology support, transportation funding, and other supports that went beyond the typical work-based learning experiences that the state provides. This episode was made possible through funding from the Vermont Division of Vocational Rehabilitation under a grant from the U.S. Department of Education. We'll get into the impacts of the demonstration in greater depth during the interview, as well as lessons from the implementation of that demonstration. But Mathematica did find that compared to a control group, the demonstration increased high school students' use of services and increased college enrollment. The impacts on employment were less clear, but there were encouraging signs for the second half of students who enrolled in the demonstration. My guests for this episode are Rich Tulakangas, Emma Page, Diane Torres, and Porvi Savak. Rich is the Director of Linking Learning to Careers for the State of Vermont's Division of Vocational Rehabilitation. Emma is a Youth Employment Specialist in Addison County, Vermont. She works with high school students and young adults in progressing along their career paths. Diane is a Senior Transition Counselor for the Division of Vocational Rehabilitation, as well as the Career Consultant for Linking Learning to Careers in Bennington, Vermont. Porvi is a Principal Researcher at Mathematica, where she studies disability, health, and employment policy. She also led the impact evaluation of the Linking Learning to Careers demonstration. I hope you enjoy the episode. So today we're going to be talking about a demonstration in Vermont funded by the U.S. Department of Education that 
uh, involved evidence-based, work-based learning experiences. And I thought we could start by just providing some definitions for audience who may not, audiences who may not be familiar with some of these terms. So, uh, Corvi, perhaps you can start us off. What is work-based learning and why is it important for the transition of youth with disabilities to uh, either college and or uh, a career? Sure. I'll probably hand it over to our friends in Vermont to explain more. I can speak about it from a research point of view. But work-based learning experiences are one of the few services that the literature has shown are predictive of successful employment in young adulthood. And so the purpose of this demonstration was to test a model that included work-based learning experiences to see how it impacted transition-aged youth with disabilities. Yeah, I think I would just add that work-based learning experiences, an important distinction is that they directly engage students with community employers. And there's a lot of different ways that that can happen, um, anywhere from you know informational interviews or doing a worksite visit and tour to something like a job shadow or longer term experiences that may be paid or unpaid um, and ultimately leading to competitive integrated employment, ideally. Okay, and um, Rich, how common or new is work-based learning as an approach practiced by state vocational rehab uh, agencies? Well, it's certainly an integral part of our pre-employment transition services for youth that uh, engage with folk rehab across the state. It's, uh, I think, has greater importance as a result of our Linking Learning to Careers initiative, which emphasized uh, the value and importance of students having these experiences. So it was an opportunity for us to expand those opportunities for students across Vermont. And before we get into the, the demonstration and, and the evaluation that we'll be discussing today, I'm hoping you can give me a little bit of a sense, the, a sense of the stakes involved here. Why, why is it such a pressing issue for both federal, state, and local entities to try, try and um, improve the situation for youth with disabilities who are transitioning to this phase of their lives? Well, I think there's a lot of evidence that when students during high school have the opportunity to have work-based learning experiences, there are much better outcomes in terms of their uh, employment later on, their level of earnings, how they feel about their career pathways and the work that they're pursuing. And for students with disabilities, it's even, even more important and seems to have even greater impact based on some of the, the research that's been done. Okay. And uh, before I move on, is there anything anyone would like to add about the stakes or the, the need to improve in this area? I'll just add that while there's, you know, been at, there's some evidence of the importance of work-based learning experiences while in high school, there's it has a limited evidence. And so part of the motivation for this demonstration was to generate more rigorous evidence. Some of the evidence out there, you know, it, it's just been limited. So these demonstrations were funded to focus on youth with disabilities and to test the impact of work-based learning experiences in a more rigorous setting. Is that it's limited in the sense that it hasn't been studied much or that it's been studied but the evidence hasn't been strong or, or both? 
No, it just hasn't been studied much. There's one paper in particular that's cited over and over, um, and it's dated. And for the the field, it's important to have you know more recent evidence given policy changes, and to have evidence that is less subject to to concerns about selection bias or generalizability. So. As I, as I mentioned before, um, there was a demonstration in Vermont that we'll be talking about today and Mathematica uh, evaluated the impacts of that de demonstration. So I was hoping we could touch on the high level takeaways from the impacts of work based learning um, in Vermont it, from this demonstration. So we examined the impact of the linking learning to careers demonstration on outcomes in three broad areas. The use of services, VR services, education, including high school completion and post secondary or college education, and employment. We found that the demonstration led to a large increase in service use, first and foremost, work based learning experiences. More than two thirds of the youth in the demonstration had a work based learning experience, and that's a rate that was substantially higher than for youth in a, in a control group that was very similar. Um, in characteristics to the demonstration group. The demonstration also led to an increase in post-secondary education enrollment, college enrollment. Nearly a third of the youth that were in the demonstration group had enrolled in college, again, a rate that was significantly higher than for the control group. And we found that the demonstration led to an increase in employment rates for some youth, specifically those that enrolled in the demonstration in more recent months, but not for all youth. Two-thirds of the youth in the full demonstration group had a paid job after, at some point after enrollment. So beyond those quantifiable impacts from the evaluation, I'm, I'm curious how the demonstration went from kind of an on-the-ground perspective. Emma or Diane, perhaps you could speak to that. I think my biggest takeaway from the program is just how much it, it gave students a built-in network. Um, which is super important, especially in a rural state like Vermont. Um, but it gave them people, uh, you know, references, mentors, people that are in the working world that um, can show them what it takes to move up in a career. So that was definitely one of my biggest takeaways. Um, but also being able to hold on to the students past high school, um, that's actually something we're implementing now in, in Vogue Rehab and Faber, you know, statewide, because it just allowed for a continuity of services, you know, sticking with the same people and helping them with that transition into adulthood was huge. Yeah, and I would, I would second that, that continuity, um, you know, in the past when they worked with us, uh, they would transfer to an adult counselor upon graduation, and there was definitely a, a loss in contact. It was, they about 30% would continue to engage and we'd lose the other 70. With LLC, we noticed a much larger continuation of engagement. And so I think that was that was a big piece of it. And just knowing that there was the same person that they were gonna work with had a huge impact positively on them continuing engagement and, and just not just continuing to keep a case open, but, but continuing to grow continuing to access education that they may not have had opportunities for prior to this and pursuing certifications or associate's degrees or competitive employment, whatever their career goals were. And Rich, what, what about from your perspective, how, how do you think the demonstration went? Well, I think um, it clearly um, engaged a lot more students in our, in 
what we called our enhanced services group, right? The ones who are randomly selected to participate in uh, linking learning to careers. Yeah, I just think that in my experience with the project that students who are, you know, in especially longer term work-based learning experiences were just more engaged in, uh, in a lot of ways, you know, they, uh, in some cases were more engaged in school because, you know, they saw this as a connected experience and yeah, I think it had a huge impact. And, you know, some of the things that Emma touched on around mentorship and building their own personal networks, uh, I think are extremely important. So one thing that's worth noting is that the demonstration in Vermont was uh, a specific take on work-based learning. Uh, the model was called linking learning to careers. Perhaps, perhaps we should talk a little bit about how that's different from the way it was implemented in other states. Uh, I, I know, for example, that there were other supports and services that students with disabilities benefited from. Sure. So, um, in terms of the linking learning to careers model, uh, first of all, each of the states took a little different approach to which kinds of link of uh, work based learning experiences they wanted to implement and test. And in our case, we decided uh, we wanted to give students ideally three uh, distinct work based learning experiences, job shadows, longer term um, unpaid experiences and competitive integrated employment. So um, that's what we wanted to measure uh, in the process of implementing our work-based learning. We discovered a couple of things. One is that uh, most students already had job shadowing experiences either in middle school or earlier in school. And so that became less of an emphasis for us as we moved forward um, and less important because students in general were ready for longer term work-based learning experiences. So that became the focus of what we did. But in addition, the Vermont model, we really wanted to go beyond work-based learning and look at a couple of additional services and how they impact young people in high school. So for us, um, post-secondary exploration became very important. So we um, designed a number of different ways that students could learn more about and uh, experience uh, post-secondary education. We have um, a wonderful statewide partner in Community College of Vermont. Um, we work very closely with, and there's a unique element of uh, Vermont circumstances also that supported this work, which is that um, CCV is the only uh, community college in the state. It operates in 12 locations that align um, almost perfectly with our 12 district offices for voc rehab across Vermont. So there's a real natural alignment um, and partnership that we were able to build to support those post-secondary experiences, but they included everything from, you know, campus visits and tours, you know, getting some counseling and advice related to post-secondary options, um, taking dual enrollment courses while students were still in high school, and we funded some additional course uh, opportunities for our students, as well as potentially enrolling in a post-secondary program. So as a lot of our students graduated, um, several of them stepped directly into uh, post-secondary programs that they were, they were ready for. And then two other elements that were important to uh, LLC, one was um, providing assistive technology supports. 
So uh, what we learned was, you know, schools have, in theory, a responsibility to provide AT supports for students to be successful in their, basically in their courses in high school. We found that that level of support for assistive technology varied greatly um, from school district to school district. And we also were interested in uh, wanting to provide that support outside the school building. So as students were, you know, having post-secondary experiences or in, on a work site, um, we wanted to make sure that they had uh, the AT supports necessary to be successful there as well. We had two full-time assistive technology specialists who essentially each worked with half of the state, worked very closely with folks like Diane and Emma, our transition, or excuse me, our career consultants and our youth employment specialists, and worked individually with students to identify what AT needs they had. And, you know, roughly a third of our students um, ultimately benefited from some AT support that in some cases made an enormous difference in their lives. Emma and, and Diane, and what were some challenges with implementing work-based supports or, or offering students work experiences and, and other supports? I think the biggest, maybe the biggest, maybe Diane will agree, um, was transportation. Um, in, this, in this state, it's always going to be a challenge. Getting students to their job shadow or their work placement was a struggle for sure. Um, we had to get creative. A lot of times, you know, partner with the bus systems and um, other community partners to get students where they needed to be. Um, so we were able to find workarounds, but definitely a struggle for sure. Can I just add uh, real quickly that I didn't get to this, but the other um, unique element of our model was providing funds to support transportation as needed, um, because yes. it's always such a huge challenge as um, Emma had just pointed out. So that was kind of the, the uh, additional enhanced service, if you will, that I didn't get to. So that and without those funds, it would have been impossible in some in some you know instances because you know some of our students live way out in the boonies um, and they got to get down into town to work. So, and so that was a challenge that you anticipated. I mean, it was still a challenge, but it was something you knew was going to be a, an issue going into it, which makes sense. I mean, Vermont is is uh, a, a very rural state, and Diane, anything that you wanted to add in terms of challenges that you encountered for offering students work experiences and other supports? Um, honestly, I think the transportation was the biggest barrier across the state, no matter who you spoke to in whatever district, whether it was all the way up in Burlington, where transportation's way better than it is anywhere else in the state, there were still challenges. Um, and so I appreciated the fact that we had a transportation fund and that we were allowed to get creative. Things like paying family members mileage to transport students using taxis, using bus systems, you know, helping students get their driver's license and taking driver's ed so that they could become more independent. That made a huge difference and also helped, I think, in the success of a lot of students who may not have had the opportunity prior to this program. Okay, so we've talked about challenges. What about successes? Any success stories that you all want to focus on? Things that worked surprisingly well? So I, I would say uh, assistive technology and the dual enrollment pieces were, were my biggest takeaways as far as successes go across the board. 
they made a huge impact. Some of the students who never would have considered college had the opportunity to not only use, um, in Vermont, you get two dual enrollment vouchers for each student to use at any point in their high school career. LLC um, granted an extra two dual enrollment vouchers to be used. So a student could theoretically step out of high school at graduation with a full semester of college credits under their belt, uh, which is pretty darn amazing, especially for some of our families who may not be able to have the funds to afford that. Uh, so students that didn't have opportunity or never thought about college that way really took that opportunity and ran with it. And the AT, assistive technology, made a huge difference as well. Uh, you know, I, I had a, a pair of students, siblings, um, where the assistive technology was the most incredible blessing. One, uh, both students were on the spectrum, um, on the autism spectrum um, at opposite ends. One was significantly disabled, uh, could not communicate, had no verbal communication abilities and didn't have a device to be able to communicate. And then the other one was more high functioning, was a mainstream student, but still struggled academically. And with LLC, we were able to come in and offer assistive technology to both of them. But especially for the younger one, we were able to bring in this device called a Dynavox. Um, that's a communication device. And all of a sudden, this student was able to communicate more effectively than he had ever communicated. His mother was ecstatic. Um, you know, she's a single mom. She wouldn't have been able to afford it. It was extremely expensive. And because of LLC, we were able to give him a voice, quite literally. He's now doing really well. He's living in a, in a group home and uh, working and able to communicate his needs and his desires. And it's incredible. Whereas his older brother is now in college full time and was able to use assistive technology while he was engaging in dual enrollment courses so that he could be more successful. This was a student that wanted to go to college, but we weren't sure if he would be successful based on his academic history. And with all of these wraparound supports, he is doing really well. He's like an A student in, uh, in a local university in Vermont right now. Um, and it's, it's just an incredible story. It's an incredible testimony to what these wraparound supports can do and, and in different ways too. So is assisted technology, is that pretty broadly construed? It can be, it can be tailored for the specific needs of that, that student? Yeah, and we always say it's low tech to high tech. So okay. something as simple as like one of those little alligator grabbers to pick something up if you drop it to the most advanced technology you could imagine, like a Dynavox. And the great thing is, is that the AT specialist took the time to understand students' individual needs um, students were able to travel up to our facility and try out a couple of different AT devices and see what fit for them. Um, so, you know, again, every single person on this student's team was invested in figuring out their barriers and figuring out a way around them. I know when we were preparing for this, this podcast that something else that came up was uh, being able to stick with students for, for later into their lives. Uh, is that something you want to speak to at all about sort of the difference? Maybe Richie, I don't know if this is something you want to talk about, but just that 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 difference where um, you're not losing kids when they when they turn 18, or I believe that's the cutoff age, or whatever the cutoff age is. You, you can yeah, whatever the school leaving point is, basically. Yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to start on that, and I think um, Diane and Emma would have um, 
you know, a lot to say about that. Yeah, so normally when um, students participated in vocational rehabilitation or the, the prior model, if you will, was that uh, when they left high school, they were transitioned from a, um, a counselor that was assigned to them during high school to an adult counselor. So there was this transfer that oftentimes didn't go well because they had a relationship um, established with you know their high school VR counselor. And all of a sudden now they were being turned over to someone else at precisely the same time that they were being transitioned from every other you know, adult support in their life, right? So they no longer had access to their special educator, education case manager, to their guidance counselor, to, you know, other folks. And in some cases, you know, other community services as well would transition at the point where they left high school. And so with LLC, we intentionally um, set it up so that our career consultants would stay with the students when, after they graduated high school, through the full duration of our grant project, which was five years. And felt like it just made a huge difference, you know, when those students were able to stay with the career consultant they had gotten to know and really understood, you know, both their goals and experiences, but also their challenges, um, that they could continue to work with that uh, person. So as a result of that, we no longer, uh, for our, our entire state VR system, um, transfer students from, uh, you know, their high school VR counselor to an adult counselor. We now um, will work with students from age 14 through 24 to help them hopefully make that, you know, transition into adulthood, whatever that looks like from an employment standpoint or um, continuing education standpoint. And we think it makes a huge difference. Uh, and it's it's been one of the the most, I think, impactful systems change things that has come out of LLC. And so that's a, that's a long, that's a, a legacy of the, that goes beyond the, the lifespan of the demonstration that is now a permanent change in the way the state does business. Right. Okay, interesting. Emma or Diane, did you have anything you wanted to add about, uh, about that longer term relationship? I just think it's it's so huge because, like I said, it, it's a continuity of service. Um, when when students are losing their support system, at least they can have us. You know, we can work towards becoming more independent. Maybe moving out of mom and dad's house. Um, you know, saving up for a more reliable car. Working towards higher wage goals. Um, previously, you know, when we had to let our students go after graduation. Um, I kind of felt like I was cutting them loose out into the big wide world of adulthood. Um, but now we're able to support them every single step of the way um, between financial literacy, you know, practicing budgeting and saving um, or, you know, just working towards follow following up on their jobs and making sure things are good with their employers. Um, I think it's huge. I'm so glad we're sticking with them for a little bit longer now. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. I think. You know, if you think about it, if we can all remember way back when, when we graduated high school, um, you know, it, it's a lot to take in. You're used to having somebody tell you when your papers are due, remind you that you're late on things. You had a team to support you, especially in the special ed department. Uh, and so it's a huge shift. And so many of our students don't have the familial support that uh, other students do. And so 
to have just one more piece of their team get cut off, it was it was like they were floundering. It was like they didn't know what to do in the past. And so when LLC came along and me as a career consultant, I was able to look them in the eye and say, I will be your person even after graduation. I will be your go-to no matter what changes, you will have a constant in me made a huge difference. And those those students still reach out to me on a regular basis. You know, the grant is coming to an end and I still have many of those cases open that otherwise without this grant or this, uh, you know, the ability to work with them after graduation, these students likely would have fallen off and just done whatever they were gonna do, but without any supports. And so that continuity is like, probably out of everything we've done one of the biggest takeaways and is such such an impactful piece and i'm so happy that vermont noticed that and incorporated it into our regular practice i talk a little bit about what the lessons learned are that could could help people in, in other states so you know for staff who work at vocational rehabilitation organizations or agencies in other states who are interested in supporting youth with disabilities making this transition to career and or college, you know, what are the main takeaways? What should they know based on your experience in Vermont? And I'd love, I'd love to get kind of the full round of perspectives here. Like Pervy, I'd love to know what you think from a researcher standpoint, and then Rajem and Diane from, from your standpoints implementing the work. Sure, I can start. Um... You know, the the continuity of um, services, service providers, uh, the relationships that we just talked about, I think that's a an important lesson. It's also um, something that we couldn't really measure in our evaluation. Um, and I think it'll be important to to see what impact that has outside of the period of the grant and the evaluation. So in years to come with students that were not involved in the demonstration. It's a change that other agencies can make. Some agencies have made this change in the past few years of, of having the continuity um, and not transitioning students from a transition counselor to an adult counselor. I think another lesson that I've learned um, from the evaluation work that I've done is that the success of the implementation and the evaluation can vary at the local level um, because of a, fun a function of various contextual factors or relationships in the community. So the relationships with the schools that Rich talked about um, can be very important. And so building those relationships can help the success of any policy changes that agencies are trying to make. Yeah, um, just piggybacking off of um, what she just said, I think having relationships with the schools and starting at age 14, you know, that's, that's how, when we can start working with these students um, and just starting the career exploration pro process at that young can just open up some doors in their mind of what their goals might be. Um, so I would definitely say, you know, start young and continue on into that transition to um, adulthood. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. You know, um, we were able to work in three main schools down in Bennington, we're one of the smaller districts. And one of the schools we always had a tough time um, 
getting into it's a smaller school they were like man we're pretty good without you um and and that's fine right but we were able to get in and we ended up having almost an entire classroom be enhanced so getting all of these extra services we've been talking about which was very very cool so we were able to work with this particular group of students for two years while they were in high school doing groups um, teaching work readiness skills and then working with them on an individual basis to kind of figure out what their career goals were and what they wanted to do, whether that was post-secondary certifications, whatnot. And I would say out of all of the students in the schools that we worked with, that was probably the most successful cohort of students that we had. Um, there were definitely individuals from other schools as I've kind of touched on, but that school relationship is now continuing to thrive even though this grant is ended because they saw the success. So not only do we have buy-in from the special education department and all the teachers, the principal has bought into it and has encouraged us to continue coming and encouraged us to continue having those group sessions and, and meetings. So it's definitely made an impact across the board and not just because of these these great extra services we're able to provide. It's just that that relationship building that's so important. Rich, what should your peers in other states know? Yeah, so I think um, one of the other big takeaways from my perspective was the importance and value of youth teams. So prior to uh, linking learning to careers, each of our district offices had a single transition counselor and a single youth employment specialist. And the youth employment specialists, by the way, are, are uh, employed by our community partner um, organization um, called Weber in Vermont. But Weber and Voc Rehab work um, literally hand in hand. I mean, it's a very, very close working relationship. So what LLC added was this additional position of a career consultant and an additional youth employment specialist at each of our offices. And we also had a, a process of monitoring the fidelity of our model. And that really, I think, drove the importance of clarifying the roles for each of these individuals so that, you know, when going to a school, for example, um, they, you know, needed to know who's this career consultant person versus the transition counselor versus the youth employment specialist. And so what happened was I, we formed these very close working youth teams in each of our offices who really, um, you know, met very frequently, usually weekly um, to plan together and coordinate activities. And I think that that's become a pretty powerful part of what we do uh, in the field of transition at this point or those 14 to, you know, uh, whatever year olds before they leave high school. And that's continuing. I, that's just become, I think, a, a highly valued part of how we structure our work um, and recognizing the need for, you know, all of our youth staff to work so closely together in their district offices. Um, so what, uh, what do we need to know more about? Where, where do we need more evidence to drive positive impacts in the lives of youth with disabilities who are making that transition out of high school? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that, um, you know, one of the things that we've learned through our evaluation is that we need a longer term look at what the impacts are, particularly related to employment. You know, that a two year snapshot, for example, uh, oftentimes before students have left high school doesn't really give us an adequate read on, you know, what those longer term employment outcomes might be. 
So I think, you know, the ability to follow them, which we're able to do now, you know, through our, our state data system to see, you know, where they are, you know, two more years down the road or five years down the road um, will be really important for us to get a, a better handle on that aspect and, you know, what impact we had. And another thing I think that we learned implementing this work-based learning intervention in particular in Vermont is that a surprising number of our students already had some degree of work experiences coming into the project. And, you know, it was kind of like, okay, so what can we do to help them process that information and move more into a career path as opposed to having a job? So, you know, I think that that has become, uh, I think, more important and, and an understanding maybe that we have from this. So, that's one, one thing about that. Uh, long term, what would success look like if you had the right data? Would it be better, um, higher in, uh, employment rates? Would it be higher college graduation rates? Would it be higher earnings? All of the above? What, what would you be looking for? All of the above uh, sounds great, <laughs> but I think from a, a kind of a qualitative standpoint, also, um, you know, measuring how, put it most most simply, how happy young people are with where they are uh, in their pursuit of a career pathway in life in general, um, because they're able to support themselves or, you know, able to pursue education at a level they ne they never thought they could previously, you know, those kinds of things. But I think in terms of, of personal satisfaction with where they are in life would be an, an interesting indicator. Yeah, there's definitely need for more evidence. I'll say a couple of things. The first is that Vermont and Vermont's Vocational Rehabilitation Agency are known to be fairly advanced, you know, leaders in this work. And so even the students in Vermont that were not getting the demonstration services had access to a pretty robust um, system. And it would be good to, to learn in the coming years if, if another state adopted the LLC model and customized it for the context of their state. What are the impacts? There are reasons to think they might be even bigger or they might not be. So I, I would be, I, I'm hopeful that with the impacts that we've seen that other agencies might um, look at this as a model that they might consider. And Rich spoke to the longer term impacts, and I think that is really important to look at employment and education outcomes over a longer period of time. And not just to look at, you know, what are the employment rates or the earnings, but to, to dig deeper even then at, you know, who who faltered, like who who isn't doing well in the long run and why, and speaking to those young adults to understand like what barriers they faced and what what struggles they faced so that we can um, you know develop interventions or services that can address those needs as they move ahead into their adult lives. All right. Well I've run through my battery of questions. Is there anything you want to leave the audience with that we haven't talked about yet? Uh, one other um, point I think that might be important, JB, is that um, you know, the fact that we had such an emphasis on post-secondary education experiences um, as part of our model has also really led us to, at Voc Rehab, to thinking more extensively about how we integrate that 
for both our youth and adults. So we've developed what we call a progressive education model. And the idea, first of all, is that um, everybody's ready for something and that our work is to try to figure out what they're ready for. And in some cases, you know, that may be as simple as a visit to a college campus because um, an individual has never been on one and or never saw themselves as being on a college campus. And what does that feel like? And, you know, uh, those sorts of things uh, on up through, you know, much more um, extensive experiences like dual enrollment coursework and possibly credential training and enrolling in post-secondary programs. But that idea that we should be exposing youth with disabilities to all of those options. And as they you know, are successful with one step, being ready to take them to the next step and recognizing how important that might be um, for our youth. I think a lot of times in at least the schools that we worked in, um, post-secondary education wasn't considered an option for a lot of our participants. Um, and I think this showed that that's not an accurate thought process. There were multiple ways for students to engage in post-secondary education uh, and to at least get a taste of what it might be like to go to college or take some sort of post-secondary, whether it be certification courses, go for a complete college degree. and. And it gave the students belief because if they had been kind of told through certain schools that maybe this wasn't an option for them. And, you know, I mean, we've all heard about the guidance counselors who say you should go work at Walmart. Unfortunately, that's still a reality. It still happens all over the country. And this support, because of all of the wraparound supports we had, we were able to help them see there is an opportunity and you can explore that without paying money for it, without having to worry about, you know, concerns about transportation, about assistive technology. And some of them who were like, all right, whatever, I'll try it, ended up being really successful in pursuing education that they otherwise wouldn't have considered an option. So that post-secondary piece and that that opportunity to help them while they're still in high school also, I think made, made such an impact um, positively towards them after they graduated. Thanks to my guests, Rich Tulakangas, Emma Page, Diane Torres, and Porvi Sebak. In the show notes for this episode, I will link to the Mathematica research about the Vermont Linking Learning to Careers demonstration. As always, thank you for listening to another episode of On the Evidence, the Mathematica podcast. There are a few ways you can keep up with future episodes. You can subscribe wherever you find podcasts, including YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, you can also follow us on Twitter. I'm at JB Wogan. Mathematica is at Mathematica Now.